scripture reading for today comes from 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're looking at verses 16 to 19. This is the word of the Lord. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as a Lord would do, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And, apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you just for this time, and we... Uh, you know, we pray, God, that you would uh, help us receive uh, the words here that Paul is speaking uh, and that your spirit would be at work, always illuminating the beauty and the grace of our Lord Jesus uh, through the words of Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Could you tell that was a little sarcastic, right, that part of the letter? <laughs> uh, I love it. You know, we're getting near the end of our series in Second Corinthians, and uh, this is kind of like a, maybe a, a juicier part of uh, the letter just because of its tone. And you see, you have this congregation and there's people and they're boasting in all kinds of wrong things and they're supporting the kind of people who are boasting in all kinds of wrong things. And as a result, they question Paul's apostolic ministry and they ended up embracing the wrong kind of leaders and the wrong kind of t teachers. And what Paul is doing here is he's confronting them pretty directly and pretty sarcastically. And for me, as someone who can be sarcastic, I don't know if uh, any of you are the recipients of my sarcasm, but I'm actually a very sarcastic person uh, with my family. Uh, I know too much sarcasm can sometimes go sideways and end up offending people when you're trying to be funny, but I guess the benefit of sarcasm is not necessarily in its humor, uh, but the benefit of sarcasm is that it can bring to light certain things that are foolish, and in this section, that's what Paul wants to do. Uh, he wants to show the Corinthians that basically what they're doing, the things that they're boasting in, the values that they've adopted are ultimately folly. There is a place in the book of Proverbs 
where um, people often turn to to make a pedagogical point about a life of wisdom or about the book of Proverbs specifically. And it's found in Proverbs 26. So Proverbs 26 verse 4 says this, Answer, not a fool, according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then in the very next verse in Proverbs 26, 5, this is what it says. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And you kind of read those verses next, right, next to each other, and it's like, oh, that's a contradiction. So should we answer the fool or should we not answer the fool? And I think that's what Proverbs is trying to say. You know, in certain kind of situations, you need to be able to exercise wisdom. Some situations, you should not answer the fool according to their folly. But in other situations, you should answer the fool according to their folly. Uh, and that's why Proverbs is a, a very different from, let's, let's say, the law. And to put it simplistically, the law is more about what you should do and what you cannot do. Uh, wisdom is about knowing what you should do in a particular situation. So those of you with children, I don't know if uh, you've ever done this in your parenting, but have you ever tried to mirror them to kind of show them their folly? Uh, I did it once, and uh, when one of my kids, I was kind of hesitant to tell this story because I don't want her to be embarrassed, but uh, just pretend you don't know who it is. Uh, you know, one of my kids, uh, who's like great 90% of the time, 10% uh, of the time, she's horrible, and <laughs> but that 10% of the time is uh, when she's practicing the piano. And uh, for whatever reason, whenever she's practicing piano and she gets corrected on her piano mistakes, like she gets like possessed by a demon or something, like she turns into like this really irrational, angry, like full of attitude kind of person and she says the most foolish things, right? So she, she'll practice, and I know she loves the piano because every time she, uh, like she always wants to play and then after she gets a piano lesson, she's like, oh, I wish the piano lesson was longer. So there's like a, a love for it, but for whatever reason, when practicing and when corrected by a parent, she hates that, right? And she gets like so fed up. So this one time, you know, predictably, uh, she, she's practicing, she gets corrected, she gets upset, and then she starts to say things like, I, I hate piano, right? I, I, I just wanna quit, I hate piano. I hate my piano book. I wanna rip it, right? And I'm just like watching this, I'm like, no, you, you love piano. No, no, you don't wanna quit. That's, I, I don't, what you're doing is not helpful. This is not helping you. And then she took the page and she said, I want to rip it. And she ripped it like two or three inches. So you know what I did? And, you know, to be honest, I was like a little fed up. But you know what I did? I said, well, if you, if you want to rip it, just do it all the way. And I went, <laughs> and I ripped the whole page out. <laughs> and she, was, she started crying. <laughs> uh, maybe you don't approve of that kind of parenting. But, <clears throat> uh, you know, I did it because partially I was fed up, but partially, yeah, I wanted to show her, like, what she's saying is nonsense, right? It's foolish. You don't really mean it, uh, and what you're doing is not really helping your situation. So Paul is doing that here, and I think he's opting for the Proverbs. There's something sticky on my shoe. Uh, he's opting uh, for Proverbs 26.5, that route, where it says, answer a fool according to their folly. And he says, look, I'm going to answer these Corinthians according to their folly. And he's saying, look, if you all want to act like a fool and boast in your achievements, I'll do that too, right? I'll play your game. But I'm only going to do it so that you can see how foolish you're being. And that's why, that's what he says when he starts in uh, verse 17. He says, what I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would. So he's making clear this is not godly. <laughs> he's saying, I am going to say these things as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. And he's saying, look, let me do it as you do. If only 
that you recognize the folly of what you're doing as you boast in the flesh. Uh, have you ever noticed how uh, some of the ways that we think, it makes sense in our head, but then as soon as somebody says it out loud, you immediately recognize how foolish that kind of way, that way of thinking is? Uh, have you ever talked to someone about a problem that you're having only to realize as you're saying it out loud, the folly of what you're saying? And sometimes maybe hearing it out loud uh, or in this case, seeing something written out highlights the folly of their behavior. And so what does Paul foolishly boast of here starting in verse 22? He says, are they Hebrews? And by they, he's referring to the quote-unquote super apostles, uh, these false teachers that have uh, infiltrated the Corinthian community. Uh, he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. And here what he's doing is he's boasting in his uh, pedigree, his ethnic identity, because these false teachers uh, were likely boasting in their pedigree, their ethnic identity. Uh, one of the commentators I was reading says that, you know, Paul's rivals were exalting in their Jewish heritage uh, probably as a way to prove that they were like superior servants of Christ and Jewish-Gentile relations was like a big issue in the early church. And, you know, by the way, it wasn't uncommon for uh, a lot of people in those kinds of communities to boast in their Jewish identity because even in other letters, like the, the letter to the Philippians, when Paul presents reasons why someone might put confidence in the flesh, he makes reference to the fact that he was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and a Hebrew of Hebrews. And the reason he's making that point is because uh, other people are probably making that point saying, look, I have reasons to put confidence in the flesh. And he's saying, well, uh, the reasons that I have to put confidence in the flesh, I actually ultimately consider to be lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And that means that the Corinthians and the Philippians and probably all these other cities, they have something in common even for people within the Christian community. And what they share in common is they boast in their ethnic identity, their Jewishness. Now, boasting in one's ethnic identity doesn't really make sense on a couple levels because that's one area of life where we actually have no control. It's not like we, like the people here, like Paul, for example, it's not like he chose to be born <laughs> an Israelite, right? Uh, it's just kind of something that happened. And yet, still, that's one of the things that people will boast about. Uh, if you're, both, if you're born into maybe a certain kind of family with a lot of pedigree and a lot of honor, uh, you can easily boast and say, I'm a, and you fill in the blank. Uh, I don't know, I'm a Rockefeller, right? And you, you kind of share in that pedigree. But if you think about it, you didn't do anything to be born into that family. And yet uh, to boast about it doesn't really make sense, at least on a human level. And that's, probably one of the reasons why we could say something like racism really is nonsensical even though it exists everywhere. Uh, racism is complicated. I'm not trying to oversimplify the problem of racism, uh, but at the risk, I guess, of oversimplifying it, you could say that racism is rooted in a kind of boasting. Uh, when one racial group is uh, seen as superior than another, it's rooted in a boast. And yet, when someone is born into a certain group with a higher pedigree, uh, they may be beneficiaries of being part of that higher pedigree, but they don't really have a reason to boast <laughs> in that higher pedigree, at least from a perspective of achievement and merit. 
And yet, despite that, people of all cultures throughout history have tended to boast in these kinds of things. And apparently, the Corinthian church was no different in that they placed a greater value on a certain ethnic identity, in a, in a certain kind of Jewish identity, uh, one that seems to give them greater status or a certain degree of pedigree within the Christian community. And, you know, maybe they assumed uh, the person uh, who, like the false teachers that infiltrated the church, they assumed, oh, this, this person comes from a certain kind of Jewish pedigree and therefore their teaching must be good. And that's something that we do too, right? We say, oh, this person comes from a certain, and you fill in the blank, whether it's a racial group or uh, a certain ethnic identity or a certain family, and you kind of assume, you say, oh, this person comes from this kind of pedigree, they must be s teaching the truth. Their teaching must be good. I can just picture uh, this is one of the ways that these false apostles entered into the Corinthian church. But uh, by saying that, by saying boasting in one's ethnic identity is foolish, I don't mean to imply that uh, therefore it's wise to boast in one's achievements. There's also folly in that as well, to boast in one's achievements. Uh, when we continue to read what Paul boasts in, things kind of take a little bit of an unexpected turn at verse 23. He asks, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater laborers, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. And then he goes into details about some of the hardships that he has faced. Now, uh, to be honest, I wasn't really quite sure how, what to make of this section. Uh, it's a little bit tough to understand uh, what Paul is doing, where he's coming from, because uh, you know, on the one hand, he starts off by boasting in things that the Corinthians would boast in themselves, but then he starts to boast in his hardship and his sufferings. And it could be that he's boasting maybe in his personal courage or his personal strength that he was able to endure so many hardships because of Christ, but it would seem as though his suffering and hardship would have been uh, one of the reasons why people would have casted doubt on his apostolic ministry because they might have said, look, if God really called you as an apostle, if God was really showing you a lot of favor, then uh, you wouldn't suffer this much. But because you're suffering this much, God must not be showing you favor, right? And that could have been one of the ways that they would have uh, judged the apostle Paul in his ministry. So all I can co conclude here is this, that Paul is uh, being a little bit complex and doubly foolish in his boasting. He's being foolish by boasting at all in the first place, and then he's being doubly foolish by boasting in his personal achievements, but then he flips the ladder of his boasting, and he boasts in his weakness and turns a foolish boast ultimately into a wise boast. Did you get that? It's a little complicated, but that's how I make sense of it in my head. Anyway, if he was going to boast like a Corinthian fool, I would expect him to say something like this. Hey, look, guys, I've planted dozens of churches. I've preached the gospel to more people than any of these other false teachers. I've traveled more miles. I've won more converts. I've raised more money. I've seen more visions uh, than any of these other people. But he doesn't boast in those achievements. Uh, that would great gain him greater legitimacy to the Corinthians. But what, he, what does he boast in? Uh, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Frequent journeys in danger, river, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. See, he boasts in all of his hardship and the things that he struggled with and the things that he suffered with. 
And so Paul, he boasts in the, these things ultimately to show his weakness. Now, why does he do that? And why would the kind of boast that boasts in one's achievements be a foolish boast? I would say one of the reasons why boasting in our achievements is foolish is because of its underlying presuppositions. Uh, I heard somewhere that in the ancient world, a boast was tied to military and to warfare, and therefore you would have kind of like this group of soldiers, uh, and you would want them to fight with all their might, and so in order to kind of get them engaged in this like warfare battle mentality, uh, what the armies would do is they would boast in something in order to highlight their conf something that they should be confident in. They would boast to highlight their strengths, and by boasting, it would give them the confidence to fight. And I guess you can kind of make an analogy to what sports teams might do today. So a sports team might say, hey, we've got like the best players. We've got the strongest players. We've got the most skilled players. If it's basketball, we've got the tallest players. Nobody can beat us. Uh, dominate on three. One, two, three. Dominate. And then you kind of build up a confidence and uh, you boast in these things and you kind of go out and you say, all right, I can go out with strength and I can defeat my opponent. So that's kind of how a boast worked in the ancient world in military and warfare. And I think in a similar way, uh, our boasts do that for us as well. Why do we boast in the things that we boast in? Because it gives us a sense of confidence. Uh, take, take your resumes, for example. Um, if you have a resume that's full of a lot of achievements, it gives you confidence. And I don't mean like a little paper resume. I'm using it figuratively, right? The resume of our lives. Uh, and you say, you know, oh, wow, you, you went to this school? Or, wow, you worked for this company? Or, wow, you had this job title? Or, wow, you make this much money? Uh, oh, wow, you live in, like, this neighborhood? This kind of apartment, right? All of these things um, that we look at as our achievements, it kind of gives us a confidence about ourselves and makes us feel good about ourselves and says, and it tells us, look, oh, my life is worth something, right? That's, that's what our boasts ultimately do for us. And that presupposes that the source of our confidence or our identity or our sense of security ought to come ultimately from our achievements. If you're successful, maybe that works for a while, uh, but if you're not successful, that resume ends up being the source of shame that ends up destroying our sense of identity, that takes away our confidence, and uh, I would say destroys our soul. And we kind of hold this failure of meeting expectations, of meeting standard, of our inability to boast in our achievements um, within our hearts, and it destroys us from within. And so what is an antidote to that? What is the antidote to that? And I think the world's answer would be, you just have to find a way to become successful, or even you have to find a way to maybe change your definition of success. But Paul would say something very different. Paul would actually say the antidote to that is ultimately found in God's grace. Paul's mention of boasting, it's not unique in this letter. Uh, he talks about boasting in a couple other letters as well. So, for example, in Romans, he talks about uh, this doctrine of being justified by faith. And he says, on account of being justified by faith, boasting is excluded. The reason why boasting is excluded is because we are justified by faith as opposed to being justified by the works of the law. And that means our worthiness, our sense of righteousness, is not something that we can achieve, but it's something that is given to us through a gift in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. 
In, the, in Galatians, he talks about boasting again, and this time he's a little bit more specific. He says he boasts in nothing but in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you, you know, kind of take a step away from maybe your own familiarity with Christianity for a moment, that's, that's a strange statement to make. Why would someone boast in the very mechanism that put Jesus to death? But here's what Paul is saying. He says when he boasts in the cross, he's saying he doesn't boast in his ethnic identity. He doesn't even boast in his achievements, but rather he rejects any kind of boasting that is ultimately rooted in a system of self-salvation where I have to save myself, where I have to make myself worthy. And he looks at that as a form of folly. He knows we can't save ourselves. He knows we can't overcome our sin. He knows that we can't construct an identity for ourselves that gives us this kind of eternal confidence that every human being is longing for. He knows the only place that comes from is in the cross of Jesus Christ. And therefore, in, the Galat in Galatians, he boasts in the cross. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones Jones was a famous British preacher, and one of the things that he would often do to try to you know, gauge a person's understanding of Christianity is he would ask them, right, that's a very simple question. He would say, are you a Christian? And if the person responded and said, well, I'm trying to be a Christian, uh, he would know the person didn't really understand what the cross is all about because uh, we don't try to become a Christian. Uh, we don't try to even be um, a good Christian in the sense that it's based on us, but the gospel's ultimately about the work of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ who gives us salvation as a gift. We become Christian simply because we receive salvation. We receive that gift. Tim Keller says it like this. He says you can't be a Christian through trying. You can only be a Christian through dying. And I love how that rhymes, right? That could be a poem, spoken word. You can't be a Christian through trying, but you can only be a Christian through dying. Uh, it's only when you come to a place where you recognize that you are utterly weak, utterly helpless to save yourself that you then begin to allow God to work in your life and to raise you up. That's the heart of the gospel, friends, and that's why Paul makes it a point to boast in his weakness. Paul knows it's not in his achievements as an apostle that validates him, but it's only through the cross of Jesus Christ where he receives that ultimate validation. And if he were to ever boast in his accomplishments, it would really be one step away from embracing the grace of God in his life because the grace of God is ultimately what serve, allows him to serve as a minister of the gospel. And to claim otherwise and to boast in his achievements would basically betray the spiritual reality of God's grace in his life. I love the way this passage ends. I don't know if you uh, we're paying attention to how this passage ends. It's like a strange ending, but I love how it ends. And it requires a little bit of explanation. Here's how Paul ends this passage. He says, at Damascus, the governor under King, I don't know how to say it, uh, Aratus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. And you kind of say, like, at the end of his boast, why is Paul ending with this, like, strange story where he's in a basket being lowered down, Right? Uh, why does Paul end his boast with this story? Well, uh, some background information helps. So in ancient Rome, there was an award known as, uh, in the Latin, Corona Moralis, translated as Crown of the Wall. And it was awarded for a particular military achievement. So uh, when there's an attack on a city, and you know cities would be fortified with a wall, and the way you might attack that city, uh, you would, you know, 
put up this long ladder and you would climb up the ladder and try to get over the city. Uh, but it's not like the uh, opposition is going to say, oh, they're putting up ladders, you know, welcome, come in, right? They're doing stuff to them to prevent them from doing it. They're pouring like uh, boiling liquids on top of them or they're, they're shooting arrows at people who are climbing this ladder. And so to be the first one to go up this ladder and to climb over that wall, that exhibits a high degree of bravery. And so there was an award given to that person who was the first to climb over the wall. And sometimes this award is even given posthumously because as you might expect, the person who goes over the wall first is at the greatest risk of dying. And what Paul does is he highlights the exact opposite of that award of what the crown of the wall would highlight. He tells them of this really humiliating and undignified experience that he had where he didn't climb over a wall, but he had to be lowered right, by others down in a basket through a window in the wall. And Paul wasn't the first one up. Uh, he was the first one down. And one commentator says it like this, unlike the proud vainglory of military prowess, Paul's apostolic career opened on a note of humiliation and disgrace. And yet, Paul was called as an apostle in both faith and ministry, not on account of his strength, not on account of his, um, like his military courage, but solely based on the grace of God. And that's what he wants these Corinthians to understand. Sometimes it is hard to believe in the grace of God, I think. We say it a lot in the church especially, but I, I think it is kind of hard to believe in deep down in our hearts. Uh, I think we are always tempted to add something to the grace of God. Uh, and we, what we do is we equate maybe the source of grace with the means of grace. And here's what I mean. We might say, for example, the reason I became a believer was, of course, because God was gracious to me, but I also went to a great church with great music and a great speaker, and it was through uh, these things that I became a believer. Or we might say, you know, oh, the reason why my marriage was restored after struggling for a long time is, yeah, of course, God was gracious, but, you know, I also did some deep soul searching, and I decided I needed to change. And to be clear, I'm not saying uh, great music or a great speaker or self-reflection and self-discipline are not significant, but they are simply just the means of grace. They are not the source of grace. You see, God alone is the source of that grace, and it's on account of his power and his mercy and his kindness that we are recipients of all that is good. And if that is true, and if that's something that we really believe in, then where is boasting? Where is boasting? There can be no boasting because all things are ultimately a gift of God. And here's the benefit of that. If everything ultimately comes down to being a gift of God, then our sense of validation, our sense of righteousness, our sense of identity does not have to be found in what we achieve or don't achieve in this life, but it's something that we receive and rest upon. And I think that's good for our souls. God is gracious, and he gives us amazing gifts in the gift of salvation and the gift of himself in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul boasts in the cross. And therefore, what we ought to do is embrace our weakness. Maybe even go so far as to what Paul does here, boast in our weakness. The very things that we try to hide from other people, the very things that 
we would say are humiliating to us turns out to be strength for us spiritually. Because when we are empty, when we feel that humiliation, when we feel like we're nothing, that's when God fills us up. Or that's when we experience God filling us up. When we are weak, that's when we experience God's strength in our lives. And when we experience that, when we realize the good in our weakness and understand that the way of wisdom is to boast in weakness, uh, what we'll see in the next chapter, in the next passage, that's when we'll see the power of God at work. Paradoxical to the ways of the world, very paradoxical to the ways of New York City, standing shoulder to shoulder to these incredibly talented and uh, high-achieving oriented people <laughs> all around us, making tons of money and being incredibly important in, uh, in their spheres of life. Um, and yet, right, we, we feel that pull of like, oh man, I'm such a loser. Maybe some of you actually are those people, so a different message for you. But <laughs> I guess for me, it's like, oh man, I'm such a loser. Well, but by the grace of God, uh, he raises me up to new life and calls me his child. Let's pray. Uh, God, we want to be able to have... Um, have the ability to boast in our weakness. And sometimes that kind of courage only comes when you first uh, demonstrate to us uh, a taste of your grace, uh, a taste of that experience where that burden on our shoulders of how we have to uh, achieve certain things in life and get to a certain place in order to feel validated, um, where we can feel uh, maybe a taste of that uh, off our shoulders and kind of a lightness and a freedom in our hearts. And I pray, God, that you would give us all that, that sense and that taste because, um, you know, uh, the air that we breathe around us uh, is driving us to work harder and harder and harder to achieve more and more and more. And, of course, that's not a bad thing. Um, uh, if uh, ordered correctly and in the right perspective, um, but I suspect that many of us, um, you know, live by... Uh, have disordered hearts and uh, we're trying to find something uh, deep and meaningful and purposeful uh, in our achievements and uh, I pray God that uh, your grace would hit us to such a degree that uh, we would feel free from that and any uh, hard work that we do uh, wouldn't be for self-validation but would really be an expression to serve you and to serve others and that we would feel that freedom uh, we want to boast in our weakness, all, all the things that we want to hide. Uh, we want to boast in those things, if anything, to highlight your power and your grace. So help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.